Hey, it's your host, Brittany, and welcome to the Mom Sweat Sanity Podcast, where we talk all things life, health, fitness, kids, relationships, you name it, nothing is off the table. A little bit of just me and a whole lot of knowledgeable guests. So throw on your Lulus to run or to mom, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and join us as we unpack life's pressing topics and learn a little bit more of the who, what, whys of it all. Or at the very least, get real, share some wisdom, and grab practical tips to help in our daily lives. Hey everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in today. Today I talked to Tori. Tori is a mental health advocate, endurance runner, coach, public educator, writer, and counselor. She is passionate about moving in the trails and the mountains and the correlation of in doing this, how it impacts our mental health. As an NCCP running coach, she offers individualized programs focusing on physical and mental health for athletes to help them reach their goals. As a counselor, she works with youth, families, and adults, integrating physical movement with evidence-based psychotherapeutic methods to help prevent, manage, and treat mental illness. She spends her time playing and competing in the dirt and mountains in distances of up to 200K crazy. She has represented Canada at 100K World Championships. Tori considers running and outdoor exploration a method to promote self-awareness, self-reflection, and mental health. You can find her playing outside near her home in Squamish most days of the week and likely wearing her favorite purple shirt. In this conversation, we dive right in to all the nitty gritty. Here's Tori. Yeah, I'm Tori Schultz. I guess we've known each other for like a while. I think the first time I met you, Brett, you, I actually remember this quite vividly. You were walking or running on a treadmill and Haley McGowan was training you at, well, what method used to be before it became just indoor cycling. The old West Bend method. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and our parents have known each other for like a long time in West Bend. And I remember, I guess, so I don't know how old I was. I was probably just finished my undergrad and I was like early twenties. And I remember like, even like back then it was probably like, how many years ago would have that been? I think you're pregnant. Well, I think that was like when my middle daughter was like just born. Right. So uh, your second, right. Like you're, I yeah. think you're pregnant with your second 11 years. Well, so, yeah, I was gonna say 11 years ago. Cause I just finished my undergrad. And I remember thinking like, I don't know, even back then, like it wasn't as celebrated like pregnant women moving and exercising. And so I remember like doing like a double take, like, so even though my mom is super active and super fit, like she was very like cautious and like, was a part of that generation that was like, we must sit and like protect and like, for sure. And so then it, and I just remember doing a double thing. Oh, that's like so cool. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. You can do that kind of thing. And then now like the people I'm friends with and surround myself with, like one of my, like Hillary and I who have the podcast together, like she got like, six grinds to celebrate six months, like six gross grinds to celebrate six months. And then her five month celebration, she ran a 50 miler with her husband and like, you know, all these things that people would even like not that many years ago. And actually she still got kind of mom splained and mom shamed and stuff. But, and then, you know, for Tara's baby shower in June, we walked the Neenacker Baden Powell course. Like we walked 50 K to celebrate her baby shower. And I, and I put like a balloon. Amazing. It was so much fun. So, well, on that note, then how did you get into these crazy distances of ultras and trail and all that? You said you can't run right now. No, I feel like I'm like, I don't even think has been is the right word. Like I joke that I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm all washed up. But I started, I guess, in the end of high school, I started like training with my mom and her friends for half marathons. And I thought it was super fun. I call them like the OG team unicorn, like <laughs> <laughs> team unicorn. I love that one too. <laughs> so, 
And I was like, oh, and I never, and I remember signing up for a half marathon before, like for June of like when I graduated high school and then I got really sick and I couldn't do it, but cause I didn't actually know how to like feed myself, but that's a whole other thing. And then, so then I went to university and I always like liked the idea of going really long and I knew like a half marathon would be super cool. And then when I finished my undergrad, I guess we went to go see my mom and I went to go see Molly and Joyce. I think it was their first Ironman. My mom and I went to go see them like the summer before I finished my undergrad year and I hadn't really been exposed to that world. And of course, like everyone's crying at the finish line and I'm like, wow, this is really moving literally. And then the next day, and I wasn't in great shape because I was at undergrad and I wasn't in like the most mentally healthy place either. And the next day my mom said, you know, let's sign up. And like back then it was like 500, maybe 500 something dollars. And it was in Penticton. And when you're like, about to finish your undergrad, you're like, if your parents are going to pay for anything, like you jump on that really quick. <laughs> and so I remember being like, Oh, if she's paying, like I'll do it for sure. That'd be so fun. And I was like, I haven't swam since I was six. Like I don't even own a bike. I was probably in the worst shape I've ever been in. So the next day we signed up and I had one more semester in Halifax of my undergrad. So I went back and then I came back in December. So I basically had from like December until August to start and finish doing my first year of triathlon because I'd never done triathlon before. And so I was like, okay, sweet. So I learned, like I got a bike for graduation, I guess. Yeah. I still have that bike. It's my road bike, my only road bike I have, which is sweet. And then yeah, like took swimming class and then just started training regularly from March to August. So basically I went from zero to hero from March to August and I learned a lot of cool skills and I met like a lot of that community, like my mom's friends that were doing Ironman distances. And I learned a lot from them and, you know, worked part-time at a doctor's office and met some really awesome people in that community. And the whole time I was doing like the few months of triathlon, I remember thinking like, I just want to jog. Like the jogging is the most fun. Like I just want to run. Like I want to get up water and I want to get a bike. And I don't want the gear and I don't want all the faff and I just want to do like the jogging and I like the freedom and the minimalism of it. And so then after that, I started training more for marathons and through Vancouver Falcons Athletic Club and yeah, VFAC in Vancouver. I met like some amazing friends I'm still friends with now. And then that was the time where Vancouver Falcons was kind of getting into more ultras and trails. Like it was shortly after Ellie got the course record at Western States and we would all train together and not that I'm as fast as Ellie at all, but so that was really cool. And you just, yeah, the more you get connected to the endurance world, like the more, I just feel like it is a very, it's a really cool community that I think that the word unconditional support, like really comes to mind. And I didn't really know what that word meant until I really, like I met the people that I'm friends with now that are in that endurance running community. And yeah. So then I, my first ultra was Nienacker on North Shore and Bain Powell. Was that your first ultra? Did you do Neonacker one year? No, that was my first. Yeah. Absolutely. And only ultra so far. Yeah. It's such a hard ultra though. Like I remember every ultra I did after that, I'm like, oh my God, this is way better. <laughs> For me, I thought like, I loved the training of the Neonacker, but I think because the training is also in our backyard, I got so bored of it. By the time the race was there, I was like ready to just have it over with. Whereas if it was somewhere to train and then go elsewhere to race, I think that that would be really exciting. Yeah. And if you look at like all the rain shadow running races or the stuff in the Pacific Northwest, like, especially outside of like North Shore train and Squamish train, like 
it's way more runnable. And for me, like my strengths are unrunnable and for long distances, whereas like my really good friends, their strengths are technical. And so I find myself training on those trails, but they're definitely not my strengths. Like, yeah. So any, basically any other ultra after that was like, Oh, this is, this is way better. Like you can cover 50 K and not that many hours. Like that's lovely. Yeah. And then I just, I ended up like somehow getting on the roster for like Canada team for a few times. Um, I had to back out in Annecy because of injury. And then I went to my first hundred K was a road hundred K for worlds in the Netherlands. And that was really cool. But again, like I was coming off of an injury and they called me when I was in Colorado, like exploring 14ers. And I was like, there's a lot of fast women in the country. Like I'm not in road shape and I am not your candidate, but they're like, no, 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 you're on our list. And like, you have to come because we need three women to finish to be on like considered a team anyway. And I happened to be in Europe for a family trip before that. So I was like, Hey, this is a no brainer. It's kind of cheap for me to go. And that was really cool. And I met friends there that I'm still friends with now. And yeah, I, so I guess Good for you, it was like all kind of like a slow progress from like finding that you really enjoyed endurance and then finding different like outlets because of it and because of the people that you met. Totally. And I think like, as you know, like endurance, it's such a powerful thing. And I just actually facilitated a mental health group about this whole concept of endurance, like before we met today. And so I guess over the years, like I think I said, I was saying this in the group earlier, like this is going to sound really lame, but not lame, but this is going to sound really cheesy. But, you know, 10 or so years ago, I remember saying to myself, like running saved my life. And I was like, Tori, that's like such, and I would have these conversations with myself being like, that is such a big statement. Like, what are you even saying? Like, you can't drop that. Like, that's a big statement. And then over the years, I'm like, okay, what does that even mean? And like, how did it save my life? And like, all these things that running or movement or like being outside or exploring what it brings you as a human being. And like, there's like the saying, like the more you put into training, like the more you get out of it, but like even going bigger than that, like I'm just really fascinated by the connection between moving our bodies, especially in nature and our mental health. And so as I kind of was like, why is it that like running feels like it saved my life? Well, I'm not going to get into like super personal shit, but like we have all the research and the evidence and we have all the science to understand what happens in our brains and in our bodies when we move. And so the reason I went into mental health was because I was like, okay, so we know all this that happens. I experience this day to day. I learned so much about myself and so much about the world around me through a regular practice of moving my body every day. So And now physicians and mental health professionals are prescribing exercise and they're starting to do that. But I'm looking around the mental health field and I'm like, we're still sitting in offices. So then I went into counseling psychology because I wanted to know more about the field and I wanted to understand how movement can be utilized as a framework and like an approach for preventing, managing and treating mental illness and mental health challenges. And so that's my big kind of like, 30 year goal or vision is to like figure out how to make this a mainstream therapeutic approach. Like I could go get a PhD, but I feel like I can tell you five people that have a PhD in this already. Like I don't need to go like the science is there. So like, how do we make this a mainstream practice? Like any therapeutic approach would be in mental health. So like, sorry, I'm like totally ranting right now. (laughs) No, I like it. I totally agree. So keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you totally get it. And so like, 
we know what like cognitive behavioral therapy is and dialectical behavioral therapy and like emotion focused family therapy. And we know what narrative therapy is and all these different types of theoretical orientations that mental health professionals would adhere to, or they use in their approach. They either use it eclectically by like combining theoretical approaches or they stick to one. So where's the one that involves movement? And so if that means that like, I'm going to go do that, or if that means that like, I have to figure out who's doing that so that we actually make it more mainstream. And that's an advocacy thing. Like, I don't know the how yet, but it just seems so obvious to so many of us. And we're still sitting in offices. Totally. I have this like sticker in my gym from the like Rachel Hollis and it says, move your body, change your mind. And it's true. Like, I don't think anyone can say that because they moved their body today, they feel shittier. Like it's totally direct correlation of the opposite. And there are some days where you, you know, you get 10 minutes into your workout. You're like, this should not be happening today. Sure. Then listen to your body, but at least try and move because you're going to feel better for it. 99% of the time. Yeah. And so the group that I'm doing right now with Foundry, the movement um, mental health group, like we had like, some really good discussions today. It was a small group that came and I'm hoping it's going to grow, but there's a lot of COVID going on. So, you know, I even said to them, we had like a bunch of words that could be synonymous with movement. And I had like a whole list up. It was like play and freedom and sweating and working out and exercise and endurance. And I personally love the word endurance. And we talked about that, but I explained like the reason I do shy away from the word exercise, because I think in our society, it doesn't always have a positive connotation to it. And it sometimes can be like this thing that we need to do and check off our list rather than like something that's integrated into our lives. And like human beings are meant to move. We know that, like, we know that's how we've thrived as a species, but now we've kind of like dug our, as like a species as a whole in Western society, we've like dug ourselves into this like double-edged sword. Be like, oh my God, we've moved and we've developed our brains so much because we moved so much as we progress as humans. But now we're so smart that we have all these conveniences that make it really challenging to incorporate movement into our daily lives. So we are like, we're in this like really bad cycle. So now we have humans, it's like, it's not motivating to move as a human being because we have so many of these like modern day conveniences and then which have also impacted our mental health. And like, as these modern day conveniences have become more accessible in our society, we've seen as a whole, how our mental health has deteriorated. So we're like, we're in this, like, as a society, I feel like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Cause it's like, we know we need movement and that's how we've thrived as a species, but we've made a world where, moving is not mainstream and moving is like not even that accessible to everybody because we have all of these like technological conveniences. Absolutely. And then they also control us in that way. Right. Whereas people say they don't have time and well you do, but you choose to use it in different ways, which yeah. also weighs on the mental health aspect of everything I'm sure too, but also like just like silly, not silly things, but like even like the standard, like not government, but like, well, I guess government, like eight hour workday, like where does that even come from? That's like an archaic model that's come from agricultural times. We're not all in the field. We're not all need, like, I don't know. There's just like weird shit that society needs to, this is like a bigger conversation, but like, yeah, we do have the time. We just don't, yeah, we don't look at it in the same way, I guess, but And obviously like there's tons of barriers, like people's barriers to the outdoor, like people's access to the outdoors or access to moving their bodies. Like that looks different for everybody. Right. Like you break that down into like this time of COVID, right? Like where through lockdown, what do we have at our backyard that we're able to use? And 
you know, across the world in Italy, they're all literally locked down inside of their apartments. So how are they going to use that room for themselves to move their bodies and keep their mind active opposed to us? We were able to still get outside and go and utilize the forest and, you know, do things like that. And so the mental health from one to another may look so different. Well, and everyone's mental health looks so different, but I wonder how that looks through the time of COVID as to, you know, our levels of lockdown also around the world. Yeah. And it's interesting to put like the whole like world perspective too. Cause like I get so like caught up in like BC and like, that's all I see. Right. And being outdoors just in general, obviously. And as you said, moving your body is key to mental health. So do you have ideas and concepts as to how you're going to try and bring that forward? As you said, you don't need a PhD. And I totally agree with you. I think that more people need to be putting things in action. Yeah, I'll probably get a PhD, unfortunately, unfortunately, because like, I don't really want to, but I feel like at some point, I don't know, I don't really want to be stuck in academia my whole life. But I'm like thinking about it. And I'm like, well, I look at all the people that have developed orientations. And I'm like, they all have some sort of like other letters. And I'm like, anyway, that's just like my own I'm probably oversharing here because that's just like a recent, not recent, but that's just like, you know, you always wonder like, what are the next steps in your kind of like career choice? Mm-hmm. There's a researcher at UBC named Guy Faulkner. And last year he created this blueprint for mental health professionals and physicians. Like it's like a, a very like actionable plan where it's like this grid and for like practitioners to prescribe and how to prescribe and why to prescribe certain types of exercise to people with depression that they were working with. So there's things like that that are existing and like coming more into like the mainstream conversations. When you're working at Foundry right now, like, are you finding uh, the people that you are working with at the moment, you said that they're more in those younger years. Do you find that they're more sedentary or like, I know as me as a teen, I kind of, I was really active. Then I went through those like, you know, few years of happily not working out and then Mm -hmm. finally finding that again. And my mental health from there went so much more for the positive Do you find that that age range that you're working with at Foundry is active? Are you trying to get them more moving daily or? That's a really, really good question. And so there's when like my limited time at Foundry has been so cool because I actually really like that age group. So a lot of my allocated clients are in their early twenties. It's funny because I liked the age grade seven. My first teaching class was grade seven. When my youngest siblings were in grade seven, I loved teaching grade seven. When my youngest siblings are in their early twenties, I love working with early twenties. So I don't know if that's like a bias or the fact that my brain is the maturity level of someone that's 21 years old. I don't know, but I love working with them probably, right? Like you can, you're understanding more because you're around people that age though. Well, maybe, or I'm just like, I have like humor that they appreciate. I don't know, but it's a really cool age. Cause like, I'm just so, it's so cool that now like we're recognizing it as like this challenging age that has like certain particular needs and you're like not really quite an adult and that's okay. And it's okay if you're not independent. Cause I remember when I was in my early twenties, there was a lot of guilt of like, I can't figure this out right now. Like what? But I'm like an adult, I should know. But that age, like early twenties, Yeah, I do work with some teenagers for drop-in, but my allocated clients are in their early 20s. And what I find is people that are taking measures to manage their mental health or to get support for their mental health, they're so self-aware and they've practiced self-awareness a lot because they've, and they have, like for me to say like, oh, like it's not like a top-down approach. Cause like, if I'm like, oh, how does like movement affect your mental health? They're like, it's the best. Like they know, right? Like, cause they're super aware of, 
they've pretty much, a lot of them have tried everything. So like, you know, they'll be on medication and they'll be, and even if they've stopped having movement as a regular practice in their life, like they're guaranteed, like most of them are fully aware of the benefits it brings. And so those conversations are really easy to have. So sometimes it's like, do you want to like make movement more part of your life? Like how, like some of it's like, it's a logistical thing. And then sometimes it's like, I'll try to have these discussions of like, even if like, when you're doing assessments, for example, like you'll try to look at like all the biopsychosocial things of a human being. So like their biology and their psychology and their environment and all these things. So like, I'll ask like, what's your nutrition like, or how are you sleeping? And then like, are you moving your body? And like to making it part, like I kind of make it a part of my assessment process when I'm gathering information and getting a better sense of who they are, which is interesting because when you're learning types of assessments, I'm noticing there's a lot of holes in this. So that's why I say like, I try to make it part of my assessment is because even in the stuff that we're learning to practice as mental health clinicians, I'm looking at these being like, well, where's the question on moving your body? (laughs) Why aren't we asking? So I'll just like, I want to have those conversations with people because I think it's so important Mm -hmm. to like the clients that I work with. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I guess, as you said, like they already recognize that they need to move their body and that they feel better for doing it. So I think that the earlier that we recognize that and we're able to like, you know, teach our kids or teach the younger generation that then the better for sure. And it's funny because like a big, like I don't usually use the word exercise either because I don't want it to have a connotation with like, I was talking about this earlier today. Like sometimes there's like this idea that like you, there's an end result. And so movement, I think it's more about like the process or like the journey, but like when you're practicing endurance, it really helps you tap into breathing and being in the present moment. And it does have that when you're, especially when you're doing ultras, you have to, you're often put in that survival mode where you have to think about your basic needs and you have to be in the present moment or else you actually might not be okay. And you might not survive sometimes. And so I like to have the conversations with clients that, like if I start seeing the conversation to be like, oh, like I, you know, they want to look a certain way or be a certain way. Like I'm trying to separate, like my own motto is like, I really want to separate like the aesthetics piece or the end result piece with movement because of the sake of moving. Like they're separate. Yeah. Because I think society likes to make them about weight or look a certain Mm -hmm. way or yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like look a certain way or so I think like language and like, and like semantics can be really important with the, in those conversations. Yeah. I like your word endurance. Like I do like that because obviously I like endurance sport also, but you take it out of sport and put it into mental health. It really, it does have a really great connection. I mean, you look at an endurance yeah. sport and how much you learn about yourself in those dark moments of not knowing if you can go on or not and how much it really is a mental game, not a physical game. Yeah. So I don't know how much time we have, but this morning we talked a lot about endurance and the word endure. So I read this to the group, the word endure comes from a word for a tree known for its durability to support adverse force or influence of any kind, suffer without yielding, suffer patiently to have or gain continued to lasting acknowledgement or recognition as of worth, merit, or greatness. So the thing that sticks out to me is that if you've experienced mental illness, you're already an expert in endurance and you've likely endured lasting moments of challenge and discomfort. So I really believe that people who already have practice in self-awareness and self-reflecting and 
further developing those things and skills along with that have many of the tools they, that are needed to make movement a regular part of their lives if they want. And so like, it's, we were talking about this earlier today, like, and all the transferable skills, I think that come with endurance and moving, especially in nature. And like, it's like you apply, like, even when you're training for a marathon, you can apply like that work ethic to other areas of your life. And so when things get really shitty in life, you're like, wait a second, I did a really hard thing. Or like, I did that really hard interval when I didn't want to do the really hard interval. It's like, this is a really shitty conversation I'm having with my friend right now. And it's really hard, but it's okay. Cause I've done a hard things before and I have the skills to work through the hard thing. And so there's all those transferable skills. I think that we know we've experienced through our movement practice that we try, at least we try to apply it in our everyday life. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting when you look at it from that different perspective though, too, like I've never really thought of endurance as a mental health thing or a mental health yeah, definition, I guess, but hundred percent. Yeah. And it's like that strength-based approach too, right? Like, so one of the approaches in clinical counseling is like, they talk about like strength-based and like teachers do this too, like strength-based and like client-centered or like student-centered, but like using people's strengths that already exist in them to develop the areas where they want to develop. So rather than seeing a human being or them seeing themselves as like what they don't have, you try to foster and improve the things that they do have and the skills they do have. So like the, in terms of endurance, like, okay, if you've experienced depression your whole life, like you have so much endurance, like it's insane. Like, because those days where you like can't get out of bed or like can't put on socks and you still do that, like you're overcoming these massive obstacles that people that don't experience depression don't overcome every day because it's just easier. I don't know. I could just go on forever about this shit, but I just like the connect. There's so many metaphors and like connections that I like making between like movement and mental health. So as we kind of maybe wrap this up for this time, and I hope that we can get back <laughs> on to another one. <laughs> but, um, we talk about the purple shirt. Maybe talk about the purple shirt. shirt. Okay. That's a great one. So this purple shirt. <laughs> It's so I know that there's this lady in the trail that always wears a purple shirt. <laughs> it is so funny because a couple of years ago, the way it all happened was like, I got it. I was pacing at Hard Rock 100 in Colorado and my friend Becky, I was pacing, gave Tara and I this purple shirt and this neon jacket to pace her. And since then it's like outdoor research brand. It's just like those shirts, like fit so nice. It just like, it works. It doesn't chafe. And it just like feels good. And I didn't even realize I was wearing it for like every run. And then my other friend, Tara, one day said to me a few years ago, do you only have one shirt and you run every day? And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess I do. And so then it became every time I'm like in a photo, it's just like hashtag purple shirt. Cause it's like literally the only shirt I have. And now you have to wear it. Now you're the purple shirt lady. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, we'll all look out for you in the trails now. If you see anyone running in this purple fuchsia <laughs> shirt that stinks really hard, it's Tori. <laughs> okay, let's close it out with maybe one or two top tips for anyone that's really just wanting to get into the trails. What would you suggest to anyone that's looking to start trail adventures? I think because like those connections with people and like friendships have like made such a difference in my introduction to that world. I guess groups are really hard these days. And we've been talking about that with Hillary's podcast when people write in questions, like it's different. So like I'm giving people advice to like 
put out on Facebook groups, like the trail running women, Facebook group, people are like, Hey, is anyone in this town? Make it about like making a new friend. And like, if the idea of exploration or trail running or running in general is like a little bit intimidating and you're noticing those emotions come up, like reframe it and make it about, I'm going to make a new friend that likes like being outside or whatever. And then you might learn a new skill along with a new friend. So sometimes if you like reframe it, like put making it about a friendship or a connection or making it about a new skill, but like whatever kind of lessens or mitigates the anxieties about the activity. Cause some people get anxiety about meeting new people and some people get anxiety about learning a new activity and some people get anxiety about both. So kind of like check in with yourself to be like, okay, where's the feeling originating from? And then you can like reframe it or reorder it to be like, I'm going to focus on this part of it. And then like a side benefit of that is going to be like learning a new skill or making a new friend. But that's how you are going to reach out and get into new communities. And you used that word a little while ago for trail running and the endurance sport. And I do think that it is such a positive and friendly community and there's always room for more people in the trails. Well, thank you so much, Tori. To close it out, do you want to let us know where you can be found if you have any socials or anything like that? Yeah. So I'm still, I do coach some people remotely, but I'm mostly doing a little bit of like remote mental health. I call it mental health coaching until I'm completely accredited as a clinician. So I do have some like private clients have been doing some like mental health and endurance coaching, but like combining them. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can email me at Tori, T-O-R-Y at endurancemethod.ca. And if you want to find me on social It's Tosho, so T-O underscore S-C-H-O. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it. See you next week. You can find me on Instagram at MomSweatSamuel.